You're listening to the Trinity Ministries podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. You know, God is a God of miracles. I have to tell you about a miracle that happened to me this morning. I got ready to get dressed to come here, and I have a history of uh, having nosebleeds. And it happened for the first Sunday in all of my 50 years of ministry. And I was dealing with this and getting kind of frustrated and getting kind of anxious. And uh, Marilyn said, you know, you have to relax, John. Well, I tried. But as I lay down and I'm having my head back, I said, okay, God, if I'm supposed to be with your people this morning, you're going to have to take care of this nose. He did. He did. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, God does that. Now, this was not to be part of my message today, actually. Um, Well, let's have a prayer. Lord, we ask you to give us your Holy Spirit. We ask you to touch us with that power. We ask you to open our hearts and our minds and our wills to you. Help us through the truth we look at today. Grow in appreciation, in thankfulness, in discipleship. Help us to realize that you read us and you know us. That can be both fearful, but it can also be joyful and appreciative, and thank you for that. So we ask that you would remove from our hearts and minds any obstruction that's there to your truth. And insofar as the evil one would seek to separate us from you, send him away. In Jesus' name, amen. If somebody came up to you and they said, you are a person of insight. You are a person of integrity. You are an inspiration. You might think, wow, that's wonderful to hear. I'm glad somebody can appreciate that about me. But suppose, suppose you'd never met that person before. Suppose that person had never met you before. And they saw you. Whatever it was. And they came up to you and said, you are a person of insight. You are a person of integrity. You are an inspiration. That would be something, wouldn't it? You might conclude, how in the world did that person ever know those things about me anyway? Well, we meet a man today. That's exactly what happened to him. Um, it happened to be one of the men who would ultimately be one of the twelve apostles. We have to understand this is very, very early in the ministry of Jesus. You remember Jesus is baptized. His ministry begins. Uh, He's baptized by John. He's led out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. You know, whenever I hear that story and I think about that, I think about my ordination in the ministry a long, long time ago. And I think, what if 
the Holy Spirit had led me out to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. I don't know if I could have withstood that. But that's what happened to Jesus. And of course, we know he was victorious over the evil one. To declare early in his ministry, Satan did not have power over him. He was the victor. And of course, he would accomplish that ultimately at the cross in the open tomb. But at the beginning, Jesus is announcing to the devil, you are not in control here. After that 40-day fast, and Jesus is exhausted and he's tired, and he goes back probably to Nazareth. And then shortly thereafter, he goes down to the Jordan River. And he meets John the Baptist there, who baptized him, of course. And John sees him coming, and he announces to those who are there, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Think about that. John knows exactly what the ministry of Jesus is all about. He's the Lamb of God, going to be sacrificed. That's what lambs did. But he's going to be sacrificed for the sins of the world, for the salvation of everyone. So Jesus' ministry is launched at that point very powerfully already by John. That's the focus. That's what Jesus' life is all about. Winning salvation for all people for all time. A few days go by, and one of the men that's there that hears John say that is Andrew. Andrew is ready to hear that message. Andrew wants to know this truth. And so one of the first things he does, he goes to his brother, Simon, or Peter as he's better known to most of us, and he shares the message. And then Jesus goes And he calls his first four men who will be apostles. Simon or Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And shortly thereafter, he calls Philip. And that's where the text begins today. John chapter 1 says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Isn't that interesting? Jesus goes to him and he says, Okay, Philip, follow me now. And then we notice what Philip does. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the Law and the Prophets. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Okay, we'll have the sermon slide. St. Bartholomew. Nathaniel and Bartholomew are the same person. Not unusual that people had two names. One was Greek, typically, and Bartholomew was that. It means the son of Ptolemy. It says something about his ancestry. And the other one is Nathaniel. I thought of Nate there. I don't know if that's Nathaniel, but it could have been. And uh, Nathaniel means a gift of God. Uh, So this man has that title. And uh, Jesus said, well, we're going to be looking at that. A man of insight, integrity, and inspiration. You know, of all the twelve ultimately that Jesus chose, this is the one that Jesus most complimented in the most glowing of fashions, more than Simon or John or any of the others when he called them. 
We don't know what he said exactly to them except follow me, and they did. But to this man, well, he becomes the sixth of ultimately the twelve that Jesus chose. And let's take a look at what it says about him. Uh, Philip goes and says, we found the one that Moses and the prophets have written about. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Now, we need to know a little bit of history here. Um, Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Yeshua. Yeshua can also be translated as Joshua. And so, in that time that Jesus lives, there are a number of Yeshuas around. Uh, And uh, in the first year of Jesus' ministry, we often see him introduced as Jesus of Nazareth. Because that's the background, that's the community out of which he came. And they did that in those days, like Judas Iscariot. Iscariot isn't his second name, it's the area he came from. So that was commonplace. It was also common for individuals to have two names, like Simon and Peter, um, uh, Thomas and Didymus, Levi and Matthew, and it's true for Bartholomew slash Nathaniel. Now, when Peter, or when Philip says this, he understands Nathaniel wants to know this. Nathaniel is a man who's serious about his faith. Nathaniel is a student of the scriptures. Nathaniel is a person searching for answers, the answer about the one for his life in whom he's going to have salvation and peace and promise. And so, it says, And Nathanael says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Seems like an unusual response, doesn't it? But why does he say that? He says that because he knows there is no place in the writings of Moses or the prophets that refer to any significant person of faith, certainly not the Messiah, to come out of Nazareth. He's born in Bethlehem, that's foretold. Jerusalem, possibly. I mean, after all, that's the chief city. But Nazareth? Well, you know, Philip is just very wise about his evangelistic approaches. He doesn't argue. He doesn't even allude to what John said. He just says, come and see. Come and see. There's a hint for us there, isn't there? Sometimes, maybe you know a friend, an associate, a neighbor, a family member, whatever, And you would like that person to come to know Jesus in his or her life. And you thought about it, and you prayed about it, and you wondered what to do about it. What kind of approach can I use? What can I say? Well, you know it's in the nature of people coming to Christ that very few people are ever argued into the kingdom. Very few people ever enter the kingdom of God by debate. Because what happens when we begin to do that is we're on one side or the other, right? And so we're hearing the opponent, we're putting our own reasons together. I heard of a pastor, a friend of mine, um, who told me this story. Now he was, the friend of mine is a lay person. So anyway, but he knew this pastor who'd been working with this one particular person in his community for some time and to no avail. And finally the pastor just got exasperated and said, oh, just go to hell then. Now I'm going to encourage that as an evangelistic approach. Frankly, I'd never used that myself. And I doubt it, used, it worked very often, but it worked in that case. 
that person actually started to think of what he'd just been told. And the Holy Spirit led him to Christ. But don't use that approach, at least not typically. It's a lot better to say, come and see. Come on Sunday morning to our church. Come and see what it's like to worship with the people of God. Come and hear the music and be thrilled by what you hear. Come and hear the Word. Because the Spirit may just, well, just come and see. Come and see and enjoy the fellowship that's part of your community of faith. I haven't been here very often. But I picked that up from you. You people care about each other. You people encourage each other. People are infected by that. So, invite them, come and see. So, the story goes on. Um, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he looked at him and he said, and listen to what he said, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. We have to understand the implication of what Jesus is saying about Nathanael here. He's saying you really are the way a man of God ought to be. You you search, we're going to get to that in a few moments here, but your your whole character, you're a man of, of honesty and integrity. You're you're the living example of what it means to be a child of God. Uh, When there are people who live their faith and they, in in their actions, in their words, in their deeds, being neighbors and people of the community or where it is, becomes infectious. People say, wow, you know, she has something or he has something. I want what he or she has. They're compassionate people, they're caring people, they're loving people. They don't sit around judgment. Their their vocabularies are, well, the way the vocabularies ought to be. God's name is used, all right, but in prayer and praise. And that's what Jesus is saying about Nathaniel. He's a wonderful model of what it means to be a man of God. Now, Nathaniel is awestruck. He asked the question, how do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, I read you. I read your heart. I read your mind. I read your soul. I read your actions. I read your deeds, your words. I know you. You see, I can see down inside of who you really are. Kristen put that well in the children's message, right? God sees our hearts. He knows what's there. That's the power of this lesson. Jesus sees us for who we really are. Now, if our desires and our thoughts and our words and our actions are something that, well, we wish God didn't know, then we need to be aware. He, He knows that. He knows us. On the other hand, if we take a course of action, if we speak a word of compassion, if we make contributions to a cause, uh, if we try to do what God wants us to do, and there are people who don't accept it, 
people who don't even understand it, people who oppose it. We know the integrity that we've had. We know what we've tried to do. We wanted to do the right, to take the right action, say the right word. But if people see us negatively, if they see us in a light that we didn't intend at all, we launch into a task and we find opposition to that task. And we were there because we really thought this is what God wants us to do. And a certain person or group says, we don't care about that. We believe you were dishonest or we believe you didn't really mean what you said. Jesus knows, you see. He knows the thoughts of our heart. He knows that we wanted to do the right thing. He he knows we wanted to say the right word. So, even if others misunderstand us or even reject us, Jesus knows the truth. That's a part of the lesson here. Jesus saw Nathaniel as a man of integrity, as a man of insight. And we see that when the story about the fig tree. Why did, why, why, what's with the fig tree anyway in the story, we want to ask? Well, a fig tree is interesting because fig trees were symbols of peace. If you wanted to present a gift to someone which indicated that you were coming to them with compassion and peace, you could give them figs. They would accept them that way. It's like Paul's word about carrying coals of fire on your head. Uh, It seems strange to us. But that's what they did in those days. They had warm coals and they carried them and they could help other people start get warm or, 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 or you know, assist them in some way. Well, that's the part of the fig. Also, fig trees had branches that went out. And so people often in meditation would gather under the fig tree to meditate. That's what Bartholomew slash Nathaniel is doing. And Jesus sees him there. And he knows what he's doing. He knows under the fig tree, he's meditating. And after Jesus says that, you know what Nathaniel says? Nathaniel declares rabbi. And rabbi means teacher, but it means means a great one. It's about the highest level of compliment you could extend to a Jewish teacher. That means you, you saw them as people of intellect and respect and, and, and knowledge. Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. Wow. Nathaniel is the first person to call Jesus the Son of God in his ministry. He says it before Peter or James or John or any of the others. He's not even really an apostle yet at this point. And yet, Nathaniel says, you're the son of God. That's a divine title. Nathaniel is saying, in essence, nobody could know me on the inside. Nobody could see my heart, my motives, except God. No mere man could do that. To read me without even ever having a discussion with me, only God could do that. And he's saying, you, Jesus of Nazareth, you are God. That's a powerful statement. Jesus is God. He was God from eternity. He will always be God. 
And that's the statement that he makes of Jesus. Um, Jesus said, you believe because I told you when you were under the fig tree. But you're going to see something greater than this. You're going to see the angels of heaven descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. That's a promise. This is in the future. Nathaniel, you're going to see this. It's a great promise. He doesn't speak that promise to Peter or the others. It's uniquely to Nathaniel because he sees Nathaniel's character and faith. So when does that happen anyway? Well, it happened at Jesus' birth, of course. The angels came and announced to the, to the shepherds in the Bethlehem hills. It happens at the resurrection when the angels come and tell the women, He's not here. He is risen as He said He would be. It's there at Jesus' ascension when the heavens are open and Jesus is rising up. And the angels say, Go to where He told you to go. He's going to come back again and take you to be with Him. The final time that's going to happen is when Jesus comes back. The hosts of heaven are going to announce His arrival. That's a powerful picture in the book of Revelation about Jesus' return. You and I are going to be there. You and I are going to be part of that group because of our faith in who Jesus is, the Lamb of God, who's taken away the sins of the world, also mine and yours. And that's the promise we have. One of my favorite sections that deals with that subject is found in Philippians chapter 2. And I want to end the sermon with that. Paul's talking about Jesus and he said this, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I love this translation for that reason. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him in the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven, that's the angels and the hosts, the saints who are there, on the earth those who are still here when he comes back again, and those under the earth. Those are the, the souls, the lives, the evil angels that exist in hell. But everyone, when Jesus comes back, is going to say that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of timing when God sees that the time is right. We can look forward to being part of that assembly, to welcome back Jesus again, and to say, as John, at the end of his uh, book of Revelation says, even so, come Lord Jesus. That needs to be our theme and our song too. Come. We want you to come. We want you to claim yourself for who you are. 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords, because he's called that, you know. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 1.5, it says Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Well, God bless your faith and mine. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you became the one who would win salvation, the Lamb of God, to take away our sins and all sins. We thank you that you are the Son of God. We thank you that you will rule eternally. We thank you that having our faith in you, we will be there in that holy assembly rejoicing at your return. Bless us with that promise. Fill our sense of hope and anticipation with that truth. This we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.